So, so uh, I would say, is God conserving the faithful witness of evangelicals of color? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think it in so many ways, uh, it's it's the faith of people of color that will be what Christianity looks like in the United States uh, twenty years from now. Oh yeah, I bet y'all thought profane faith was done. You know your boy ain't gonna let us go out just like that, like no sucker chomp. Come on now, this profane faith. You, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It's our God. Jesus Christ has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be become a black man again. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Hey, 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 hey. All right, folks, here we go. Here we go. What's happening? What's going on out there? It's the summer of 2021. Whoo! Yes, a lot's going on. And first and foremost, let me just address the kittens and the dogs and parts of the elephant in the room. Uh, sorry for not posting really for the last two, three weeks. Um, you know, summer hit. Uh, this is usually the time uh, that I take off uh, on my own time, you know, from the academy and me either writing or reading and or just t- just you know just taking time away and putting my mind on other things and that's kind of what happened we took a family vacation uh then we took uh both uh emily and i got some time together uh, alone without a kid the kid was at camp uh that was the first time and i i would imagine for us getting that amount of time by ourselves with no interruptions uh probably about a good 14 years (laughs) so very much needed very good time i always love spending time with emily and um yeah anytime i get a chance to do that alone uh is always good as well those of you who are parents or who have kids or are guardians of kids uh y'all already know that you know trying to you know we love our we love the kids we love the people the humans that we've been put uh you know in charge of and responsible of uh but uh you know it's nice when they get away as well and they had their own time so but nevertheless uh you know that meant the podcast kind of took a back seat in uh, certain regards and so again i apologize uh but here i wanted to you know finish out the season we i didn't get a chance to really finish out the season we were in the middle of a series. Uh, hopefully, you've had a chance to hear Brother Sean Watkins, uh, Dr. Chris Driscoll. Um, this week, obviously, you see already see who's on here, uh, Brother J.R. Uh, Foresteros, who is a continual uh, uh, a guest uh, on our show. I just he's just a profane faither uh, in general, and um, 
The second part I wanted to address as well um, is that I am also very, very cognizant and uh, aware that in this series, uh, there has been no women <laughs> and uh, uh, it's all men and uh, all cis males as well. Uh, so I wanted to address that as well. Um, and some of the context for that is, number one, um, I sent invitations out to a whole bunch of people, uh, actually, and uh, Summer got to them as well. <laughs> and uh you know, they're off doing things with their families and their loved ones and whatnot and kin folks. And it, you know, this this series, I, I, I definitely want to do it again. Um, I've heard from a few of y'all that y'all are like, man, this is great. This is fire. Thank you so much for the response. Always love hearing um, from folks, whether you text me or whether you, you know, send it via the website or whatever. Thank you so much. Um, I'll also say... Uh, that, you know, some people's schedules just didn't line up, you know, they're, you know, already out and about doing things and they just needed some time off, which I completely understand. Uh, but there were invitations sent out. Um, and just because of time and part of that two weeks too, I was actually still trying to line up a couple women, uh, to have this conversation with, uh, that it just did not work out. Uh, and, and a couple of, uh, non-binary uh, queer folks as well. So again, those, Voices are, hopefully you know by now, those are definitely voices that I continually want to give platform and lift up. Um, and at the same time, you know, I want to keep the show moving uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and keep the series going. I knew I wanted to do, to do at least three episodes, possibly four. I would definitely revisit this topic because it's raised some really good questions, uh, along with some great conversations that I've had over the last few weeks, uh, just in general, both online and offline. Uh, in regards to the nature of God. And um, I want to keep that going. And so uh, I'll revisit it this fall, I promise. And we'll, and we'll, we'll get some, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get a broader range of voices because uh, I do think that that's important. I think that that's something that, um, as you know, if you've been listening to the show and you've been a faithful listener, uh, that's something that we try to highlight a lot. And, and, um, but I just wanted to address that because I do realize uh, that, that, you know, when you're looking at it, it's just like, well, these are three guys, you know, and, and two of them are white cis males at that. Um, absolutely, that's very much aware, but just know that invitations were sent out. And uh, again, folks were like, hey, I can't do it this week, or hey, can you get back at me in August, um, you know, or September, <laughs> you know, I, and I totally get that. I totally get that because I'm in the same boat as well. I've had a couple of requests and I've been like, hey, hit me up middle of August when I get back into the office and uh, we'll talk then. So that is what happened with that. And just wanted to let uh, the audience know about that. Um, but hopefully you've had a chance to get caught up now and listen to the last two weeks. I think this is a very important conversation around just God in general, uh, how we look at religion, uh, how we engage with in general, how we engage with what is happening uh, right now in the world, um, I think that is is something that I continue to look at. And 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 one of the reasons why I have these conversations is because I want to see what other folks are doing. Um, it's oh my gosh, there's so much going on, right? In fact, for those of you listening, I, I'm going to end the, um, the I wanted to end the season on a on a high note. Um, uh, well, I don't know about high note as much as um, uh, it, as much as it is. It's just a, the, a continual reminder of where we stand and particularly with how media um, and politicizing things uh, like uh, all gender bathrooms you know, gets gets 
really torn down. So after JR and I are done, stay around. Stick around for a little robocall uh, from, um, oh man, I'm forgetting her name. Um, I believe it's Michelle Duggar. That's her name. Um, politician and just anti-LGBTQ the whole nine. So I want you to check it out, but listen to how the rhetoric is broken down. This is very familiar to those of us who, you know, study this stuff and also uh, have looked at superior wharf hypotheses and how language determines behavior and particularly how words are created. So stick around and that'll give you kind of hopefully some hope <laughs> for continued conversations coming up in season six, um, which, it's, you know, it blows me away that, you know, we started, what was it 2017, August of 2017? Uh, so it's coming up four years now. That's that's a trip. And uh, here we are heading into 2022. And, you know, with the season six, that's that's a lot. So, again, thank you for your continued support. Thank you for your continued uh, engagement and uh, comments. Um, it's it, it always does my heart well to see and hear some of that. And I just appreciate it. Thank you. I really do from the bottom of my heart. Because, um, you know, I've said this before, right? It's, you know, it's, it, it gets it gets to be and especially, you know, somebody like myself, right? that I don't go to church. None of us go to church in, in the family here. You know, we just uh, just don't see the use of it. At the same time, um, there's a missing communal aspect that, you know, quite frankly, I haven't figured out. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Um, there is something about going to church that is about community. Um, that is about just, you know, seeing other folks. At the same time, I will say that I used to just see those folks once a week. So I'm just like, well, if I'm already seeing you just once a week, <laughs> um, and you know, we wouldn't necessarily connect. So, but in my heyday of church, I will say that there was a continuation of, of that community in other parts of the week in other parts of life. And again, I have not figured that out and what that looks like in this sense. Um, you know, and I get it. Some of you may say, wait, well, hey, join a bowling league or something like that. Right. I, I and, and I get that. That's those are all good things. I'm also very picky about, you know, what I have conversations about. Um, I, you know, I'm fine with just having conversations about the weather or, you know, if it was bowling, right. Cause I like bowling. Um, you know, if it was that it, I'm fine just doing that. But again, for me, I always seek and long for deeper um, and richer conversations um, and finding like-minded people um, in different contexts. Um, you know, some of the, the the areas that I like to do, like, for example, fishing. Um, I'm not probably going to find somebody, very many, I should say. Let me take that back. Let me say I'm not going to find very many people in the fishing cultural world Um that you know i can say oh man we're on the same page right fishing uh tends to line up along with hunting uh very conservative uh typically very you know right wing uh, uh centered um very much god and country uh very much you know an idea uh, an, an ideology around militarism as well so you know, all those things matter, right? When you kind of pick a hobby. Uh, same thing with, you know, even you know, aspects of construction as well. I like, you know, building stuff and fixing stuff. Um, I also know that that also comes with its 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 uh, connections and ideological constructs, especially around gender and gender identity, sexuality, human sexuality, right? Men should provide and be strong and know how to fix things. Women should be um, at home, taking care of the family, and it should only be those binaries, right? Um, so, you know, again, I just, uh, and those are just two real mere examples, but 
it speaks to the broader term of just trying to figure out church uh, and community. And so we just we just don't uh, just do that. So, um, yeah. And, and you know, and part of it, I've talked again, I've talked about it on the show as, as to why I don't go to church or find the value in it anymore. Um, but, you know, it, but again, the community aspect is something because, again, going back to what I was originally saying, you know, there's there's a lot going on. And I think that's part of the concern um, that I have in regards to, you know, where will we be at in, in 10 years? Um, you know, and, you know, new research is emerging, you know, particularly around social media in regards to, you know, its benefits uh, and saying, you know, and how we shouldn't look at it as an either or type thing, um, you know, as, 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 you know, that it's not all bad. And so, you know, I, I that's one that just popped up too that just came through and I need to, you know, finish reading it and whatnot. But, you know, I know for me, uh, I have, you know, come, I'm quickly coming to the conclusion that I, I don't see a lot of good uses for social media, especially with some of the things that we engage with, like, you know, topics on this show, you know, because who really, really wins and whose mind is convinced on social media and who wins, right? And not that you want to look at it as a win-lose thing, but who really benefits on social media? It's the social media platforms because it doesn't matter what you post, agree, disagree, all those things. They're still getting likes. They're still getting views. They're still getting um those notifications, right? That 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 boosts them in their platform. Uh, meanwhile, I've talked with more and more POCs, particularly Black folk, who've been booted off and banned off of you know places like Instagram, Facebook, you know, for quote unquote violating the community rules. Um, and you already know those of you who've been listening, you already know where I stand on that bullshit, right? And I, now that I've been a year off of Twitter, uh, kicked off for some bullshit. So. We find ourselves at this apex uh, with a social media environment that tends to just drown us in information uh, and not necessarily even knowing what to believe at times. And now we're getting to the sense of hyper, the hyper realization of you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you know. But meanwhile, you still have disinformation being spread and people believing it. That's the other side of it. People actually believe uh, that crap. Um, so what do we do with that? And I don't know, you know, and how do we uh, interact and engage with what we tend to call religion and Christianity in this uh, in this country? So that's, you know, part of what this series is looking at. And if you're listening to podcasts like this uh, right now, um, hopefully you uh, are someone who is searching a little bit more and trying to unpack some of these things. And, you know, I've also seen just the growth of POC centered uh, podcasts over the last few years, which I'm excited about. So I'm I, I'm glad not to be the only choice on the block anymore. Um, and it's good. I'm glad I got in when I got in. Uh, so here we do. Here we do. Here we go. And, uh, you know, y'all know Jr. Jr. is a great thinker, great reader, well read. And I just knew I wanted to have his perspective um, on this particular subject. Um, and he responded. He had the space and time. And I was like, perfect. It's a perfect way to end the season. It's a perfect way to end this conversation. Um, and hopefully you'll enjoy this. Um, along with that, too, I will say that this season's been great just in terms of the diversity of conversations that we've had as you know if you've been following this whole season um you know we didn't have a theme this this season uh you know other seasons i've gonna have a certain theme or a certain thing that i wanted to emphasize and that wasn't necessarily it was just we were just kind of you know looking at things and i think that really 
felt good for where we were at in 2020. And I haven't landed on a theme for next season. Obviously, I haven't even begun to think about season six yet, but uh, it's coming. I'm not going off the air, um, but uh, definitely coming. But I definitely want to think through um, and think through some of the topics uh, that, uh, you know, especially heading into year five. I mean, um, it yeah, it, it's it's a, it's it's something that I want to uphold. And at the same time, there's still that media mindset that comes through. It's like, how do you reinvent yourself? How do you keep your audience engaged? Uh, you know, we all and we all see that right with different TV shows, right? TV shows only go a certain um, certain seasons because, you know, after a while, you're just kind of like, all right. How much longer can we do this, right? I'm always amazed that like the Real Housewives series still still stands, right? Because it's the same damn thing every week, <laughs> right? Uh, and they don't even make it like they're not even doing like quote unquote real life. I don't know if y'all remember reality shows actually used to show different elements of life. Now they just set it up to where let's just go to a restaurant and argue, or let's go to the island and argue, right? Um, and yeah, so I get that, and I get that that shows have to change. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see where that goes. If you got ideas, as always, send them to a brother. Um, you know, whitehodgepodcast.com. Uh, there's a spot actually on the Profane Faith uh, site uh, page uh, that you can uh, submit comments, thoughts, all that good stuff. Feel free to, to send that in. I'm also happy, though, that, you know, this year I got on the uh, right wing uh, professor watch list. So, you know, there's that. So, you know, that, that that's a, that's always a good thing, right? Uh, to be uh, doing some good shit that uh, the haters are out there. If you're listening now, hey, shout out again to uh, the right wing watch list. You know, if you've been listening this long, man, kudos to you. Um, you know, I guess you don't have anything better to do, <laughs> but hopefully you get educated in the midst of your stupidity. Uh, so nevertheless, um, you know, that happened this season. So that's always a good thing. Uh, and I said what I said, I meant what I said, so I'll say it again. Um, and at any rate, here we are season five. Um, and still, you know, making our way through the bullshit. So without any further ado, thank you again for a great season. Uh, enjoy this conversation. Uh, and again, if you have thoughts or comments about, you know, what to do next, hit a brother up. And always, you know, all the episodes are always up. If you've missed something at whiteodgepodcast.com or wherever you find your fine podcasts at. All right, folks, fam, enjoy. Take care of yourselves and stay cool this summer. It's getting hot out there. Peace. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an interesting thing. I think about it a lot lately, like a lot of the labels that we use and how they get how they get turned into um, almost like meaningless team names. Okay. You know, like most of most most Americans, period, particularly in our political system, are liberals in the classical definition of liberalism, okay. which is all about personal freedom, individual, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and actually, most of them are cons- most of the ones that get elected are conservatives, too. You know, uh, Vice President Harris is very conservative. She has worked hard to conserve <laughs> yes. uh, state yes. systems. She worked as a district attorney, right? Like that. Yes. The whole point of that is to uphold and preserve the status quo in so many ways. Right. Um, Joe Biden, right? People keep talking about how liberal he is, and I'm like, when you say that, it makes me pretty sure you've never met a real liberal because <laughs> right. 
right. He is like he is like the furthest right you can get in the Democratic Party. Yes. And still be a Democrat by any stretch of the imagination. You know, right. like the people who are calling for like real systemic changes, the people who are not interested in conserving the status quo uh, don't get elected, at least not to national offices, you know? Right. Um, same thing with fundamentalism, right? Like fundamentalists are people that in time of social upheaval needed something to hold on to. So they said, what are like the basic things we know to be true about our religion? And then they cling on to those fundamental things. And then ironically, somewhere along the way, they begin to hold on to a whole bunch of things that actually are not anywhere in their religion. You know, and somehow that, but now they're fundamentalists because that's what they called themselves and that's what other people called them or, or whatever. And so the, the terms so quickly become meaningless, you know. So for me, when I hear, is God a conservative, I immediately want to ask a couple of different questions. Like, one, you know, does the person asking the question mean, is God a Republican? Yeah. Um. And all the thing, you know, is, is God is God is God the the GOP deity that we're told is a fan of and country, right? Uh, which obviously, probably no one who knows me at all uh, or anyone who listens to Profane Faith would be surprised that I would say like, well, no, of course not. <laughs> but like, does does God want to preserve the status quo? I think that's a that's a question that maybe people are a lot more divided on. You know, yeah, because we're told uh, for a lot for a lot of people, religion. Okay, I'm gonna stop for a second, back up, and circle back, and come at this from a different direction. Come on, because it's more honest for where I have been. Okay. Um. Uh. I'm coming to realize that there are different reasons that people or, or maybe different. Um, what is What is a word that is good for this? Different impulses that lead people to engage the world. Uh, so for instance, uh, one of my, one of the best cinematic experiences I ever had was seeing Alfonso Cuaron's gravity in the theater. Oh, um, it is a. I, I, have you seen that film? Everybody keeps telling me I should see it. I have not, and it's on demand, and I should probably just see it. I mean, I have not seen it. I, I so, now I feel bad. Well, so it is a film that was made to be seen in the cinema. Okay. Okay. Right. Like, like, like. I understand critics who say, as a film, it's got some issues, or it's it's pretty slight, or whatever. And I, and I get it all. But well, I think I love when him you as a director. Yeah. It's, and here's the thing, right? Like, I think when you see, when you see it on the big screen, you go, "Oh, I see what he was doing here." Hmm. You know, it's one of those things where the form is part of the me the message, right? And so, like, I talked to someone who saw it on an airplane. You know, <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, I can't imagine like a worse way to watch Gravity." Like, right. it, you, you totally right, you totally lose like any sense of you know why this movie was so good, right? Um. And 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 uh, so so you know the film for those who haven't seen it is about an uh, an astronaut Sandra, played by Sandra Bullock who there's a catastrophe in space and it's basically ninety minutes of her trying to get back to Earth when her spaceship and the satellite that they are on has been destroyed. Mm. So it's 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 sort of it's sort of cast away in space 
know, where like <laughs> yes. the slightest wrong move will kill you. <laughs> right, 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 right. And and it ends. It literally just ends. Sorry, spoilers for Gravity that came out in two thousand six, um, <laughs> or whenever. Uh, right. Maybe maybe twenty twelve. I don't remember. Anyway, it's been a while. Is my it point? Has, you know it has. Um, <laughs> it ends with her getting back to Earth and like crawling up onto the beach, and then that's it. Um, so, so it's a very artistic ending, okay. right? Um, okay. But again, I thought I, I was literally weeping the first time I saw it, like with this ending. It was just beautiful and incredible. And a good friend of mine who uh, is very much like a rom-com chick flick flan, fan, when, when I posted that it was like this like religious transformative experience for me, she was like, I hated that movie. The ending was stupid. And I was like, right, because what you wanted was uh, there to be a guy in mission control that was on the radio with her the whole there time that this is happening. And they've slowly realized that they fell in love. Yes. And then the last shot of the film is him getting out of the helicopter and running over and picking her up. And she yes. texted back. She's like, that's exactly that would be the best movie. And I was like, OK, OK, so here we go. Right. Like right. like she and, and not not just her, but a lot of people engage cinema as a way to sort of escape from reality Ooh, come on and come on. and just enjoy something right yeah. which is which is fine yeah when i go see the new mission impossible movie where tom cruise risks life and limb to entertain me <laughs> i'm not expecting to have a transformative experience i'm right. just expecting to have fun right 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 right, right um right. And that's not to, that's not to say that uh uh action movie can't have things to talk about or something to say like Absolutely can, but that's like that's not why I go to see those movies. But I think I think when I when I watch films, and and this is I think the other impulse, right? And I'm not saying one's better than the other; they're just different. There are I watch films, and I'm hoping that this film will invite me to see the world, or see myself, or see my neighbor, or see God in a new way. Right, that, that that they will challenge me and offer me some some transformation, maybe a big transformation, maybe a small transformation, but like you know, they will offer me, they'll challenge me in some way, yeah, um, rather than comfort me, right? So maybe that's a good, maybe that I'm just talking this out. Maybe like some people seek comfort and escapism, other people seek challenge and transformation, mm-hmm. and I, I I have come to see over the last several years that that same impulse is how people approach religion. Like there are people that approach religion and they don't want to be challenged. They want to be comforted. Um, they, they want the preacher to like step on their toes just a little bit in that fun way. Like when your friends kind of tease you a little bit and you're like, Oh, if that was someone I didn't know, that'd be mean, but that's, you know, that's okay. Cause it's right. my friends. Right. Um, and on, and, and, and then like, there are other people who engage religion because we need to see the world differently and we need to be challenged and we, we want to challenge the world and change. We want transformation. Right. And so I think, I think a lot of people like me who grew up in a religion that was mainly about comfort have been told God is a conservative, right? Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. wants to preserve and conserve God is the safety in the swirling storms of life. 
It's the kind of it is well with my soul. I'm sure everyone who's ever sung the hymn it is well with my soul has heard the story about how the the guy that wrote it like lost his whole family. It's in it's it's yeah. apparently a true story. It's a tragic story. It yeah. really provides a great emotional impetus when you're singing it as well with my soul. But what the, the the message is like in the storms of life and no matter how bad life gets, God is this like steady, comforting, conserving, preserving center, right? Mm-hmm. And again, that's obviously a theme that runs through scripture. Uh, where where I think that message goes awry is when people who are in positions of privilege and power take that message and like hold on to it as the primary message of scripture. Hmm. Um, because the primary place that God says those kinds of things about God's self in scripture yeah. is to people who are in danger of being snuffed out, you know, um, in the wake of the exile when, uh, I even think about, I mean, this, the, the, if you want a really colorful story about it, right. It's the one where Elijah and his servant are on the top of the, uh, castle and the army is around them, you know, and his servant is like, Oh, we're all going to die. And Elijah says, no, look again. And then he looks again and he sees the armies of God surrounding the army, you know, and it's like, it's that, but again, it's like that, that's when it's happening, right? It's, it's, it, God sends that message when people are in danger of being destroyed, of being snuffed out of that kind of stuff. And particularly, um, I think we find them a lot in the literature in scripture that has been written by people who are marginalized or oppressed. And so it it is something different for a person who is oppressed and marginalized and being silenced to say, God is preserving me. God will conserve us. A remnant will remain. Then when like the people who are in power in the culture say, you know, it, it kind of feels like a little weird right now, but don't worry, God's not going to let us change things when like Jesus's own mother, when Jesus kicks in her womb for the first time sings, you know, he will tear the powerful down from their thrones. He will send the rich away hungry. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) And, and I think, I think for me, the first place you see this really on display Mm -hmm. is in Genesis 11 with the tower of Babel. Okay. Um, All right. Break it down. If you want to talk about whether God conserves or God changes, so when I I, when I grew up, I never understood the story of the Tower of Babel because people wanted to build a building to to this. You know, they said we're going to build it into the heavens and make our make our home there. And it, and then God was like, "Oh, we can't let them do this." Uh uh oh. Uh, So God confused their languages, and I was like, "Is God scared?" Like that, that just is a weird, like that's weird. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And it seemed like God was punishing humanity for having ambition. Come on, come on. You know, I'm um, just talking about this. So this is beautiful. Come on. So, so fast forward a lot of years when I, when I spent a ton of time reading Genesis and learning to love the creation stories and read them for the stories that they are, not the science textbooks I was taught they were. And, you know, the first the first commandment that God gives to humans in Genesis one is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you go to now you go to Genesis 11 and it says that the people who built the Tower of Babel said, "Let us build this tower so that we are not scattered across the earth." Mm. And so you see you see this fear of being who God called them to be, which was this diverse group of because of course, you know, I mean, you know this better than anyone probably moving from Texas to Chicago. It doesn't take a lot of distance before people start acting different and talking different. And, you know, right. Right. (laughs) Um, That's what naturally happens when we, when we spread across the earth, right. Is we begin to to diversify and, you know, you can just look at how diverse humanity is today to Mm -hmm. see that, you know, we all come from some common ancestors in one part of the world. And yet as we've spread across the world, we become vastly different. And that seems to have been God's plan from the beginning, right? Was this diversity and this change. And on some level, the tower of Babel story says that we know this deep down. And so our, our tendency is to build skyscrapers instead of scattering. And so, God, not the conservative, basically says, uh, you're going to do this. Uh, you're going to do this. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to do it, whether or not you want to. Mm. And so the, the confusing of the languages and then which, which then led to people scattering was, was really just a way of God accelerating the original instruction, which was get out of here, go. And so there I think is a great place where we see when our, when our impulse towards, uh, empire building when our impulse towards conformity uh, cuts against this divine, maybe call it a divine mandate to scatter, to diversify, to spread. Um, yeah, I think God is not interested in preserving that status quo, right? And in fact, we see God taking divine action against that. And so. I don't know, like it's hard for me not to look at the ex-evangelical movement or the Leave Loud movement or any of the stuff that's happening in evangelicalism right now yeah. and and not see that as divine mandate where we have been trying to preserve whiteness and pre- preserve a certain kind of uniformity and build that as a tower and make it powerful and make it strong and exert our influence and all of that. And God has said, I don't know where you got the idea that that's what I wanted, but you know, cert, I, it's certainly that's certainly nothing that I'm interested in preserving, conserving. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, I see a lot of this as God's divine movement in, around, through, and out of evangelicalism because we have not been good listeners to what the Spirit is trying to tell us, especially through our siblings of color. Mm. Who, I mean, I don't have to tell you this. You've been not exactly silent about any of this stuff, <laughs> right? For a long time. Um, and yeah, I, I, so, so, uh, I would say is God conserving the faithful witness of evangelicals of color? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I think it in so many ways, uh, it's, it's the faith of people of color that will be what Christianity looks like in the United States uh, 20 years from now. Um, I think it's because God is conserving that among, among you, you know, Uh, is God conserving evangelicalism? No, not interested in that at all. Um, Because in many, so many ways we've shown ourselves to be wholly uninterested in faithfulness to God as presented in the traditions of our faith. Hmm. 
This is I love this, and this is why again I love always love talking with you, Jr. Um, and you help ground a lot of because it's I think it's easy, especially in this time of of COVID, right? It's easy. I'll speak for myself, for me to get into my head and into my own little sphere of circle and kind of not and kind of it's easy to forget then, especially the year that we've had or the year and a half that we've had and. At least here in Chicago, you know, there's already new mandates and stuff going up with the new Delta variant and everything. So people are already saying like, well, hopefully we won't have to go on lockdown again. I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know if I could do another year online of teaching. Um, but nevertheless, uh, it's it's helpful to hear this because as we were talking prior to me hitting record, I think, you know, I it's for me in my own theological journey. It's like I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just trying to figure out, honestly, which is the bathwater and which is the baby. I mean, because a lot of it's stuff, right, it, it looks the same. And, and, and again, coming from a very fundamental, very rigid theological background that I have, you didn't mess with God. God was very stern, a very a, a strong disciplinarian in all the readings, right? I mean, in, in the Seventh-day Adventist faith, Ellen G. White is huge. Uh, in fact... <laughs> In my library, I mean, I have all of her books. It was called The Spirit of Prophecy. It's a three-volume set, huge books, right? Like you were talking about, very dense material, theological treaties. And she would also put in there her visions about what God was. And so, you know, and she would describe in detail who Jesus was and blah, 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 blah. My point in saying all of that is, is that how, how then do you wrestle with, or maybe you don't, I don't know, uh, uh, the God of the Old Testament, which seems to be kind of like, you know, sending prophets and this and this and that. And then Jesus shows up and all of a sudden is saying, love your enemies. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm, uh, and, and, and worked with 12 dudes and then the entire, not entire, but most of the new Testament is taken up with Paul, Pauline theology. I, I don't know. That's a lot, but I'd be curious what your take is yeah. on that. Uh, well, so so a couple of things. One, I always encourage folks who think that the God of the Old Testament is always angry to to read the prophets. Okay, because they are filled with this anguished voice who is saying, please, please, please return. You know, mm. one of my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the whole Old Testament is when the, through the prophet Isaiah, God says, um, I wish that I could take you back to the wilderness and woo you again. You know, <laughs> so it's like, I mean, you know, it's like put on the berry white and <laughs> go back. <laughs> but it's, it's this amazing thing where when you read the wilderness narratives, they seem so um, they seem so full of this, you know, angry God. And why can't these people get it right? And oh, they're so dumb. And, you know, but then when you when you look further in Israel's history at how Israel looked back at the wilderness time, it was this time that they actually fell in love with God as their God you know, because they learned to, they learned to be able to trust. And, and so part of it is that, right. It, it, where, where, where it's, I think if, I think if we read more closely and if we ask, how do the, 
how do the Jewish people understand the Old Testament God, which is, you know, of course, their Bible's only God. Um, they don't understand God as this dictator who is scary. They understand this is a, a loving relationship, and they are a, a special, chosen, peculiar people um, that that God has handpicked. And and so, so I think that's something, right? When we're not understanding these texts the way the original readers understood them, there must be some slippage there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing I always say is like, well, you know, there's something else. There's probably something more going on. The other thing is that uh, I'm, you know, I, I have probably evolved in my understanding of scripture and how we got scripture um, quite a lot since my Southern Baptist days, where <laughs> I, you know, I, I very much kind of had the divine dictation idea that God just came down and uh, possessed the writer's hand and wrote exactly word for word exactly what yes. you know God wanted them to say. And I actually, Pete Enns is a really great scholar. He's the one I always point people to. Okay. Um, he has a book called Inspiration and Incarnation, where he advocate. Hmm. He says, you know, the, the kind of the 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 options that we always feel like we have are either the Bible was a hundred percent God, zero percent person. You know, where God just literally took over and we had no free will. Or on the far opposite end, it's like 100% person and 0% God, where the writers that we have canonized were like, you know, religious guys that had some good ideas and we put them on the same, you know, on the same scale as like the Dalai Lama or the Buddha or so, you know, just uh, even spiritual people today that we just think are really insightful and wise, right? Um, and, and he said that he, what he advocates for in that text and then beyond is what he calls the incarnational model of inspiration, where these are fully human documents and fully divine documents. And so God inhabits these texts, but they never quit being products of their time and culture, uh, which, which I think is just a really beautiful way to look at these scriptures. So um it allows them to be human documents and yet still divine. Rob Bell's another one who says, you know, we shouldn't be surprised to find that there are places in the Bible that seem very human because after all humans wrote the Bible. He said what what surprises us is when we find these eruptions of the divine in the midst of human culture. You know, when we find uh for instance in uh even in the Old Testament, you know, the eye for an eye, which today seems very draconian to us, but at the time was a, actually a really progressive idea. You know, the idea that, that there was this limit on the kind of revenge that you should be allowed to take. Um, that, that, was, that was culturally challenging in the day. Um, and so that's actually evidence of divinity, but we miss that if we only read the Bible on our own terms instead of really trying to attend to the culture in which it was produced. Um, and so I think I think all of that to say, when we begin to work really hard at uh, really, as Peter N says, reading the Bible that God gave us instead of the Bible that we wish we had, um, we I think we see that God is very much inviting us deeper into. Uh, this divine life with every subsequent generation that we can always, we can. And I think that's the other thing uh, something that, that keeps us from being super sessionists who say, Oh, those silly old pagans that didn't know what they were doing. And now we're so smart and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like, like we're all part of the same spiritual family 
And so the same God has been sort of shepherding us along and whatever insights I might have about who God is and how God loves the world and how God loves me, I only have because of the faithfulness of, of my ancestors, you know, Mm. of my siblings in the faith throughout time and around the world. Uh, so yeah, maybe I have better insight than Moses did about who God is. Um, which is what John tells us in John one, right? Um, through Moses, we have law through Jesus. We have grace and truth. Okay. Maybe that's true. But if that's true, that's only because Moses was faithful to who God was in his time. Right. And so it's, it's hard for me to say I'm better than Moses in some way, because how, how can we measure how faithful Moses was to the God that he knew versus how faithful I am to the God that I know that's, apples and oranges in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and again, all of that to say, then who is God? God is the one who is always calling me to look a little bit more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. So that's, that's the impulse. And and again, if I had a head start in that journey, that's only because of the people who have gone before me. I love this, this breakdown because this, this, again, it gives more to the story and the context of, you know where we're at and i think i love the you know the film analogy because i think you're right i mean having worked as somebody who right you know ran some of the numbers for you know this is when i lived in la to look at uh you know test audiences you know as is, is, is a lot i'm sure a lot of y'all know who are listening and jr know you know this right you know you you scripts are written and then you got to cut them up right you got to fit them into the format of a 90 minute movie or a two-hour movie i mean it's but a lot of stuff is cut out right we used to i always used to love dvds that used to have you know the 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 director's deleted scenes director's cut yeah (laughs) all the deleted scenes and i don't know if y'all remember this this is just a uh um some uh trivia not even trivia but just some nostalgia um from the 80s i remember when movies used to go on tv (coughs) excuse me, you would actually see some of those deleted scenes put into the movie. Because I always used to remember, like, wait, I didn't see that in the theater movie. Like, I what? swear. I swear I saw this in theater. Where did that come from? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I was so I was one of the guys who used to help, you know, kind of measure the, the audience's response to certain things. And, you know, um, and, and I've been on both. I've been in the seat and I've been the person measuring, you know, so, you know, you, you test audiences after that, you know, you give a hand out a survey and say, hey, what did you think about the, the main character? Blah, 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 blah. All that to say the majority, when I say majority, I'd say 94 to 96% of audiences want an ending that is wrapped up. They want the villain, whoever that villain is, to be decimated. Um, and they want a storyline to conclude. So going back to gravity. Uh, it doesn't make sense that, right, that ending ends the way it ends. It doesn't make sense that in Memento it, it's, it ends with the beginning. It doesn't make sense, right, that certain movies end on what we think is, wait a minute, wait, there's, there's got to be about 20 more minutes of this, right? It's like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take another 90 minutes like the end of Lord of the Rings, you know, part three. Ha, 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 man this is a great connection to that um because i mean i I, guess again i'll speak for myself i've struggled just with 
that because the interpretation that's been given to me is usually always that of an angry God. And so hearing different perspectives um, helps. How then do you reconcile, reconcile or engage with, however you want to put it, as a pastor in a denomination, some of the denominate because every denomination, right, has quirks. I mean, how do you, how do you, do you reconcile some of that? And I mean, how do you even stay ordained? <laughs> do not people not listen to your podcast? <laughs> like, what is, what is going on, man? I, I give it to you, bravo. Well, uh, well, I did leave the Southern Baptist Convention. If that tells you anything, <laughs> <laughs> um, after I was fired from a Southern Baptist church. So there, there you go. Um, but, you know, one of the things I appreciate about the Church of the Nazarene, which is my current denomination, is that we are intentionally broad-minded in our theology. Okay. Um, we usually use the term big tent to harken back to our revivalist roots. Um, but even from the beginning, you know, we started out of the, the revivals of the Second Great Awakening. And so the first Nazarenes came out of Methodism, Baptist, Baptists, Presbyterianism, Lutheranism, like kind of all, all these different groups coming together who the only thing we all agreed about was this like fresh experience of Jesus we'd had through the Holy Spirit at these camp meetings. Uh, so like in our denomination, you can either dedicate your kid or baptize them. Uh, show me a denomination that allows for infant and believer baptism, you know, and, and doesn't mandate one or the other. Right. But that's, that's pretty weird and rare. Um, so our statement on scripture is pretty vague mm -hmm. intentionally. So, okay. And there have actually been movements by various groups within our denomination to put in the trigger language, inerrant, infallible, you know, verbal inspiration, all the, all those kinds of trigger words that would bind us to a more literalist fundamentalist reading of scripture. And our denomination repeatedly routinely at this point rejects those and says, Nope, that's not how we view scripture. We, we allow for a, some people in our denomination see it that way, but that's not how you have to see it to be a Nazarene. I, I say from our pulpit regularly that there is no, uh, mechanical statement about the about creation in our statement of faith. Uh, our statement of faith basically says we believe God created. And so sort of to lighten the mood a little bit, I always say um, you can believe in six-day creationism. You can believe in evolution. Uh, technically, you can believe aliens seeded life on Earth as long as you believe God created the aliens, I think. Like as long as God's <laughs> at the head of the chain somewhere, like you can believe what, you know, whatever. And, and we do. We have... We have people who are kind of all over the spectrum on on age of the earth, creation, stuff like that. Yeah. I have very strong feelings about that question, but I'm not allowed to like disallow different people from being Nazarene if they disagree with me. Same thing with the return of Christ. You and I probably both know people who have gotten fired because they didn't believe in end times stuff, <laughs> right? You know? Oh yeah. And and our denomination, as long as you as long as you believe Jesus is coming back in some way, in some fashion, at some point, uh, you can be a Nazarene. You know, uh, we're real vague about what exactly that means on purpose. So I think that's part of it, right? Is we we have this in our best moment. I'll say in our best moments, because as you said, we we don't always live up to our best moments. In our best moments, we believe that believers who are encountering Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit are better off figuring these things out together than we are drawing lines and giving, getting people out of the way at the, you know, 
from the beginning. Now, I wish we would take that more seriously, for instance, with regards to LGBTQ stuff. You know, our our statement on LGBTQ uh, was crafted with nary an LGBTQ person present, um, despite the fact that we have a number of uh, quite bright LGBTQ Nazarenes who are doing really good work in the area of, LG, of queer theology, you know, mm-hmm. um, but none of them were invited to the table. So, so we, again, like I said, we don't always live up to our ideals, but at the best moments of our ideals, I think we actually provide quite a lot of room for folks to grow and to explore God and to invite others into that same exploration. So... Um, yeah, we don't always do it, but I think we could. And that's, that's honestly why I stick around in this denomination, because I believe, I believe that our, uh, denominational structures, Mm -hmm. like on paper, like literally in our manual, I believe it provides for a lot of not only freedom, but space for us to respond to how God is continuing to invite us like deeper into the mystery of faith as a denomination, not just as individuals. I like that last statement, man, the mystery of faith. I mean, I think that's, that's something that, well, you mentioned it, right? It's like this, this, you have very strong feelings on something. And I feel like that's the majority of when I hear folks who have left a particular denomination or have left a ministry or have left an organ, a Christian organization, um, is, is is the problem is that they had an idea or maybe they said something right that goes against a particular person's ideals and maybe not even the creed or whatever that organization stand for but it rubbed a particular person wrong and maybe that particular person had a large platform uh, you know had money um, right because we get this thrown at us a lot uh, is all of the donors are going to be upset or all oh, you offended somebody who you know who's a, a major contributor to this organization and so um then you know then it usually always ends up in somebody going through a very painful divorce from that organization or that church and whatnot rather than just saying huh i see it differently you see it differently we both have strong feelings on this well let's just let's just let it be and let's continue on. Can we continue on? You know what I'm saying? Like, and having that conversation rather than you need to think the way we think. Um, otherwise, you're fired. I think that's that's part of. I mean, of course, there's other there's other categories, but I think that's part of the rub um, that goes into that. And then, of course, that's where race, and then of course, uh, class, and and uh, you know, gender, and all that stuff, you know, starts starts to come in. In play, um, I've asked you this before. I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, in response to that, I was gonna say, I think that is that is for me. And again, I'm like straight, cis, white, hetero, uh, male, you know, college educated, like I'm at the top of all the pyramids. Um, so where I'm really wrestling right now is you know, if 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 someone is in my congregation and says, you know, I'm 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 not LGBTQ affirming uh, or like I'm an all lives matter, not a black lives matter or whatever. I'm like, what personally as a human, those statements do not wound me in any way or make the space unwelcoming for me. Right? Like I'm not black. I'm not queer. I'm, you know, so like 
just in terms of whether or not I am still welcomed in the, in the church body as they envision it, I still am, right? So I wrestle with, though, what about our black congregants? What about our queer congregants? What about, you know, like, mm, and uh, someone I was going to actually suggest for your next season anyway, uh, Melissa Floor Bixler just put out a book called How to Have an Enemy, uh, which is all about this very question. Um, her, Her thesis is that the church is not supposed to be a politically neutral space where people who don't see eye to eye can all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Mm. Um, you know, she says the church is meant to be the body of Christ in the world that stands with the marginalized and the oppressed. And so it's actually not praiseworthy that you have ice agents and undocumented immigrants worshiping together in the same space. Um, because how can those illegal immigrants, uh, the undocumented immigrants feel possibly feel fully present and safe in the church family when the person sitting across the aisle from them might show up at their house later to deport them. Right. Um, so that's what I've been wrestling with is, yeah, you know what? We can disagree. Uh, and, and you know me, Dan, I loved, I loved a friendly debate and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We can do that all day long about six day creationism in time stuff, you know, uh, homo Ousius or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let me Wikipedia refresh on that before we dive in, but I'll still debate it. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, we can't do that about some of these things. I can, well, I can, right. But the congregation can't, not if we truly want to be, um, not if we truly want to be it, uh, uh, for a church to be a church for everyone. It has to be a church for the most vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and as we know from the last four years, that's going to make people who don't want to, uh, agree that black lives matter or don't want to love their queer neighbors. Uh, that that's going to make them feel as though they're being excluded and marginalized. And, and so I, I, I don't know if I even have a question. There's just like a react, a, 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 a statement in response to what you were saying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the idea of a church being a place where we can come together and discuss these things. Well, I don't know, maybe we just go back to Baldwin, right? As long as the things that are up for debate and discussion are not the basic humanity and dignity of other congregants, then great. Yeah. But as soon as as soon as the question becomes, does this person have the same right to exist as I do? Right. Well, that's the church can't <laughs> the church can't be morally neutral on that question because Jesus has already answered that. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's part of I mean, so I like that. I like that. We're, we're in that whole everything you just said there. I mean, that's that's uh, that's great. And I have to get a, a, a connection to you said Melissa, right? Uh, yeah, Melissa Flora Bixler. I'll I'll uh, send you her stuff when we're off off air. Yeah. Yeah. No. That her her really book good. is really terrific. And when by terrific, I mean I've thrown it across the room a few times, and it's very challenging. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. Um, well, I mean, I think uh, so. That's that's where I feel like in so many ways we've gotten to right now. I feel like we're debate. Let's let's I, I, before I go deep, I'll I'll start shallow. It's like the debate on critical race theory, right? And I know I've mentioned this in the previous few episodes and, and whatnot, but th- the point is, is that 
a lot of folks are reading off of a card that they've been handed um, and they have no idea. Like I always tell folks, like, tell me that your top five or top three or just top one. One. <laughs> Give me one <laughs> critical race theorist that you've read in the last year that you can actually look at their work. And like, I'll have that conversation. Like, let's let's talk about the research, and you know, let's talk about maybe their methodology was wasn't as as good, or maybe they generalized in this particular area. Let's have that conversation. But to just say this is a hateful and racist ideology, and our kids are being poisoned, I'm like, all right, y'all need to stop. And I'm not going to have a, a, a generalized debate about an in 50 years of of a field. <laughs> Just because some people have crafted a very well, I'll give it to them, very well-crafted media message that says this particular thing is now demonic, right? Is now satanic. Um, I, I won't, it, it, that for me is like it, that generalized environment. So I feel like I'm not going to debate that. Conversely, um, I'm also not going to debate whether we should have racist ideologies in the same conversation as justice, right? Like somebody the other day told me, well, you know, we just got to hear everybody's side. And I'm like, I, again, to a, to a certain point, sure. But not if it means that you hate my very existence and that you want to see me enslaved in some manner because, you know, your God is telling you that that's okay. I'm not having that conversation, nor am I entertaining that. And somehow it seems like now we've gotten to a point that we're rehashing some of the things that really we're going to have this conversation. And now all of a sudden I'm intolerant. I am being brainwashed. I am being told, I, you know, I mean, these and, and, and this stuff, of course, you know, plays out in the classroom and as, as well. How do you as a pastor man navigate some of these things as well? I've asked you this before, but I'm just I'm still curious, especially in the face of you know, anti-vaxxers and, and people who were like, you know, th this is this is unreal. And, and and I'm not just talking about conservative GOP members. I'm also talking. I have black friends, Latinx friends who were saying I ain't getting vaccinated. I'm not. This is a conspiracy. This is they're going to take us out. And so I'm not. Um, and have been very vocal about a lot of the mistakes that the CDC has made. And so they'll highlight those as reasons why they're not going to get vaccinated. I don't even know if that makes sense. It's a long-winded statement. It does. And again, I think that's a great example of some of that tension I was talking about earlier um, with the difference between how, you know, God conserves those who are marginalized and then that's co-opted by majority groups, right? Like I 1000% understand and empathize with people of color who are skeptical of the vaccine, because the U.S. government does not have a good track record about medical things and people of color um, at all. And so I, I understand why there would be some uh, uh, well-deserved skepticism. Uh, white people? Come on now. Like, you know, they're not going to let Karen put anything in her arm that hadn't been fully tested. Um <laughs> And and so I think that's that's a struggle that we that we don't acknowledge yeah. in the in the fact that, like you said, there are there are groups coming from very different ideological backgrounds that are arriving at the same conclusion, which is I don't trust the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, 
the way the way I have engaged the folks in my life who are refusing to get vaccinated is is that I just am as kindly as possible explain to them that uh, we are not uh, going to be hanging out. You know, we're not going to be yeah. spending time together. Uh, we asked the folks uh, before we started recording, I was telling you that our congregation now is using these colored bands uh, when we worship in person yeah. so people can self-select. Um, and we did, we asked the people who are not vaccinated to wear red bands, even if they want to get a green one because um, they don't think it's real and the blah, blah, blah. So they're yeah going to go in for hugs. We asked them to get red ones because, you know, um, they're not vaccinated. Right. Yeah. And of course we can't control what they do. We can't, you know, we can't control whether they lie or not. Um, but as much as it's possible, we just, ex- you know, we try to kind of hold the line there and tell people what we expect and, and, and why that is. I think personally, I've also tried to use my platforms to uh, celebrate science to yeah. also help people understand how science works, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of what people are identifying as missteps with the CDC are just them trying to be proactive and explain to people things that are constantly changing as new research comes in. You know, most of the time we're not in a global pandemic uh, when these diseases are being researched. You know, I remember when SARS happened and there was this race, race for the cure for SARS, but you know, like, I don't know, a couple hundred people had SARS, you know, right. it was relatively contained and it wasn't a pandemic. So those people could be isolated, could be quarantined, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, things were changing at a rapid rate, but there's only a, there's only a small group of people that they had to worry about. Um, not literally everyone on the globe. And so, um, you know, we didn't have to make massive sweeping social changes to accommodate the infection rate of SARS, uh, so I think people just aren't used to the idea that this is how science works, especially when you're trying to do science at speed, which we have been trying to do as we get the vaccines. Right. Um, but yeah, like the, I remember in the first days of the pandemic, it was like, everyone stay home, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, masks don't help, masks help a little bit. Oh, it turns out masks help a lot. And, you know, and then everyone's <laughs> like, oh, the CDC keeps changing its story. Right. And I was like. Yeah, you said that like it's a bad thing, but like that's how science works. Like, remember, we used to think that leeches would cure disease if you let them suck your blood out. Right. And now we don't. And you're not like, oh, uh, what happened to the leeches? Like, we're like, yeah, we understand that we learned some stuff and then we changed our behavior in light of the things we learned. Like, that's that's how science works, you know? And maybe it's because I was... Like before, before I, you know, entered into the the pastorate, I wanted to be a physicist. That was my whole thing. I think and I remember I, you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to. I wanted to study time travel. Was my whole thing. I just Ooh, love it. Come on, I, I, come yeah, on, man. Yeah. I didn't, Quantum I didn't physics, know that. theoretical physics. Oh, I, listen. Yeah, I I am such a nerd. In fact, um, I, again, I was telling I was telling Dan before the show. My nieces have been in town, and so my mom came down to pick them up and then take them on a little road trip with yeah. uh, her and my stepdad. And she brought me four crates of books that I from like my my growing up. And so I cracked them open, and you will not believe the percentage of them that were like science books that I bought with my own allowance I for fun. It. I love it. I love it, man. 
my oh. wife was just laughing as I was pulling them out and like showing them to her and stuff. She was like, "You're such a nerd," and I was like, "Yeah, that's so, awesome, man." So, I, so like that. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 I was gonna say that's the con. We need to have a different, separate conversation about time travel, man. Because I got, I got oh, theorems please. on that shit, man. That's you gotta break that down. Okay, but go ahead. That's that's. But amazing. yeah, so like for me, I was obsessed with science growing up, and so I just I knew you know the scientific method, and I knew like I when I was a high school kid, I subscribed to uh, Scientific America, and I would read like the new stuff. I mean, these were the most boring articles you can imagine. But I was reading about how things were changing and they were updating theorems and all, you know, this kind of stuff. And so, I don't know, like it wasn't a surprise. Like I was excited that there was so much change at the CDC messaging coming out all the time because I was like, this means we're learning a lot. Like the fact that they're almost on daily, it means we're, we're actually, like it's that's a good thing. If, if they were like, uh, let's try masks. And then like three months later, they were like, you know, it turns out masks are only kind of like, that's actually, a, that would to me indicate no one cares about this. But the fact that the information was changing so rapidly and constantly, like I took as a good sign. And again, um, no one knows what to do about a global pandemic. The people who are in charge of it are trying their best. So let's let's give them a little bit of grace and understand that when they tell us stuff, uh, they're doing the best job that they can. You know, and maybe that's naive optimism on my part. But I have I have found that typically scientists uh, tend to be a little less manipulative than politicians <laughs> and, yeah. and and yeah. especially epidemiologists like when they're when they're putting out new information like they got into studying diseases because they wanted to cure them not because they wanted to promulgate them and so you know we're not dealing with james bond doctor who you know <laughs> doctor no villainry kind of stuff here like we're dealing with people that like their life's work has been to cure these kinds of things and so yeah. when they're putting out this information like they're doing the best job that they can and yeah the fact that it's changing so often is a really good sign and i i would just try to I would just try to celebrate those things yeah. it, you know, on my public platforms uh, so that for whatever whatever good my influence is, you know. And then also amplify voices. Like I have some friends who are actual scientists. And so when the vaccine research came out, like they were reading the actual papers on the vaccines and then giving informed scientific opinions. And I was like, okay, so like I have a buddy who is a bigger nerd than me and he read all the stuff about the reports coming out of Israel. And here, you know, here's, here's how he dumbed it down for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Woo. So I love again, it. I, that I don't expect that to make a difference to necessarily the people of color who are sure, skeptical. Sure. Um, but again, I don't know that I uh, would even try to alleviate their concerns because they're coming from such a different place than my own experience. Um, but certainly for my white friends, for my Christian friends, um, you know, and again, yeah, we didn't even talk about all the people who are trying to talk about how it's against their religion or masks are against our religion because the image of God is in the face and all this kind of bull crap that people, you know. I hadn't heard that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That was the big thing was masks are against our religious liberty because the image of God is in our face. And so we're covering up the image of God. And wow. I was like, I don't even know who I don't like. I don't even know who came up with that idea, but it is bad and dumb and bad. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, oh wow, yeah, so, I hadn't heard that one. That one's okay, 
Well, I mean, this is great, Jr. I, I and, and I appreciate it just again because it's, it's it's well thought out. And I think I was with you. Didn't we go to dinner with some of your science scientist friends who who uh, we were? The last time we were together, it was uh, some speaking thing that we were doing for your denomination. As a matter of fact, one of their general conferences, and we went to dinner. And your friends, they were oh, you know, they were no. That was when we were in. Uh, that was when we were at the crew thing, right? Crew. There and we, we went go. to yes. dinner with Andy Crouch, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's not a scientist exactly, but he knows a lot of that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, this is great, and I think you know this kind of this is a good point to kind of just you know tie in you know because i think this is where we're at right right now and in, in some of these conversations and i get it i get that some people are just they're dug in um and they're not going to change their mind no matter what and and that speaks to a higher part of just the the power of ideology and worldview that really kind of you know dictates how we you know how we act i mean it even goes back to the superior wharf hypothesis right it's like you know power the power in language it dictates how we we how we react and how we behave is the language that they used at that time and so you know that's what we're seeing now and i think there's there i think i i get so frustrated because i feel like oftentimes we get caught in and i include myself I have to watch myself with what I, well, I don't tweet anymore, but at what I repost and what I put out there because I'm like, was this really, or am I just reposting it because I agree with it? Did I actually read this? Did I actually go through that? Because I feel like it's easy to get caught in the mainstream of it's all or nothing, right? It's like people who say all video games are bad or, you know, is violent video games causing, causing the murder and stuff of Kev, Kev, poor kids and so um i think we got to watch that and that's a good word for my own self is, is watching the all or nothings when it comes to on either side left or right um anything you're working on reading on now man that uh, folks should be aware of you mentioned peter peter ends but um you know and i'll put those i'll put his kind of amazon page in the in the show notes as well but anything you're processing you know dealing i'll, with? I'll I'll give another shout out. Uh, so uh, a good friend of mine named Keegan Osinski okay. is a queer Nazarene. And she just put out a book called Queering Wesley, Queering the Church, hmm. where she does queer readings of some of Wesley's sermons. And it it serves as a really accessible introduction to queer theology. Wow. Um she does a really good job with it. I'm I'm working my way through it, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just terrific. So uh, obviously, it has. Uh, what is worse than ruffling feathers? It has maybe <laughs> plucked and <laughs> deep fried some of the people in our denomination. They're just beside themselves. Um, but yeah, Keegan Keegan is brilliant. Um, she's really uh, she's a fun follow on Twitter as well. She's a librarian, so you get a lot of uh, librarian humor. Um, wow! But yeah, it's it's a really really terrific book that that I've been enjoying. And then and then Melissa's book, How to Have an Enemy. Okay. Uh, those are, those are the two books that are really uh, really just decimating me right now. Um, I mean, I read them and then I have to put them away and meditate for a while. And yeah, they're, they're really terrific. Uh, and then our, our friend Matt Michalotis, uh actually has a book that is coming out like in the next week or two oh. called Journey, Journey to Love. Okay. 
And it's a book that he, he, it, no pun intended, it, it was a real labor of love. It went through multiple incarnations before it finally, he kind of finally figured out what kind of book it was going to be. Okay. But, um, you know, he would keep having spiritual conversations with people that came back to the reality that so many of us don't know how to be loved. Hmm. And that keeps us from being able to love well. Wow. And so it's a, it is a it is is packaged as like a 40 day kind of I mean I'm going to say this devotional <laughs> uh, but it's 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 actually even though he is a Christian it's not written uh explicitly I mean he talks later as the book goes on mm-hmm. a little bit later about his Christian perspective on all of this but it's it's not written as a Christian book it's written so that anyone would be able to pick it up and read it and you know yeah. grow yeah um and it's it's forty, so it's forty daily readings. Okay. Uh, and we're actually going to be preaching through that uh, this fall at Catalyst, which I'm really excited about. Um, and again, it's one of those like he and I would talk all the time about all this stuff, and and then you know it's 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 some of that stuff that you just kind of don't realize that a lot of people don't know, you know, or or things that we intellectually can assent to but have a hard time believing to be true. Yeah. Um. So those those are three books. Two, well, they're all they're all three actually challenging in their own ways. But they're they're three. That's that's kind of where I've been hanging out right now in in a lot of my stuff. So wow. okay, I love it. Well, I will put the links in there. Is is this book out now? Is it is it is it available? It comes out like the first week of August. So I'm not Got sure it. when you're planning to have this episode up. But. Okay. No, this will be this week, so that, that's okay. I'll, um, I'm sure he has a website. I'll, I'll connect people to his, his website. But this- uh, August third, yeah. So a week from today, perfect. Yesterday, a week from yesterday that perfect. we're recording. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, for what whatever my recommendation is worth to your listeners. It's uh, it's an easy recommend. Go ahead and get it. Uh, but but honestly, like all three of the books, but but I think I think Keegan's book particularly for for profane faith regulars yeah is going to be one that that would be really uh i was gonna say affirming which works on a lot of levels but i think really encouraging and challenging in all the right ways right so okay i would definitely i would i would love to check that out man well jr as always a riveting and fascinating conversation i appreciate you your time your knowledge, your, your well-readness. Um, we didn't even, well, this wasn't the time for it, but I definitely want to get you on. I would love to talk uh, Marvel and DC. I know I just saw the, <laughs> uh, yes! the trailers for the new, uh, what is it? The, um, the new uh, mob, no, not mob squad, death squad. Is it? No. Oh, Suicide, suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Excuse me. Sorry. I apologize for That's going to be amazing. Yeah. I, I saw the lineup for that. So I was like, and plus I saw your review for Black Widow. Uh, and just how they've marketed that particular film. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> uh, they did. They did her dirty. She deserved better. Yeah. I, Actually, let me let me throw out one more recommendation. Please. So, please. Uh, before we started recording, I was telling you about my friend Sonia, who has started preaching at Catalyst, even though oh. she lives in Kansas City. Yeah. So she preached this last Sunday, and this summer we've been doing different TV shows. So she preached about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, oh. which you know is the latest Marvel one of the new Marvel TV shows yes, yes. and she herself is Navajo okay uh, and so she focused on the symbol of the shield you know 
And the two questions that the show asks, which are, is America ready for a black man to have the shield? Yeah. And then should a black man even want to carry the shield with everything that it represents? Uh, And then she in the sermon actually goes into the symbol of the cross and goes into Dr. Cohn's cross on the lynching tree. Oh Lord. And you know, then talks about since the cross has been such a symbol of terror against people of color, um, what does it mean not only for people of color to worship a crucified Christ, but then what does it mean for churches to like reclaim this symbol of terror as the symbol of hope that Jesus transferred? Yeah, it is just an incredible sermon. Um, So it's available at our catrow.org is our church's website. You can find it there and podcatchers anywhere. So um, she is, whoa. Yeah. I mean, it was an, it was an incredible sermon. Okay. I, I might have to send me that link. You said it's up right now, right? That t- Yeah. That, okay. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to definitely link people to that. As always, those of you listening, whitehodgepodcast.com. Go to Profane Faith. Click on this episode, and you have all the show notes and the links there. I always recommend people to go back and, and you know, put a little bibliography there, man. Go check that stuff out. Uh, you know, if you're listening in your car, when you, when you stop, uh, please stop and, uh, and look this stuff up. <laughs> JR, as always, this has been fascinating. I love it. I love having you on the show yeah. all the time, and I will link information uh, about you. Is there any new websites people should know about, especially if this is their first time listening and they're like, who is JR? Everything's at jrforesteros.com. That's my book, the podcast that I do. All my podcasts are on a break right now, but we're going to be coming back uh, in the in the fall uh, so yeah, everything, everything there. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, all the different places. So perfect. Everything is at JR Foresteros. So I right, perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect. Thanks again, brother. Appreciate you, man. Always a pleasure, Dan. Thank you. Hello, this is Michelle Dagger. I'm calling to inform you of some shocking news that will affect the safety of Northwest Arkansas women and children. The Fayetteville City Council is voting on an ordinance this Tuesday night that would allow men, yes, I said men, to use women's and girls' restrooms, locker rooms, showers, sleeping areas, and other areas that are designated for females only. I don't believe the citizens of Fayetteville would want males with past child predator convictions that claim they are female to have a legal right to enter private areas reserved for women and girls. I doubt that Fayetteville parents would stand for a law that would endanger their daughters or allow them to be traumatized by a man joining them in their private space. We should never place the preference of an adult over the safety and innocence of a child. Parents, who do you want undressing next to your daughter at the public swimming pool's private changing area? I still believe that we are a society that puts women and children first. Women, young ladies, and little girls deserve to use the restroom in any other women's facility in peace and safety. Will you speak up for protecting women and children? Call 575-8330 and tell the Fayetteville City Council members and Mayor Jordan to vote no on Ordinance 119. The number again is 575-8330. For more information, please go to www.freefayetteville.org. Paid for by freefayetteville.org.